All right, let's look now at Deuteronomy chapter 6. As I was walking around one of the first mornings um, in Putna Bihar, um, Derek and I, Joseph Inger and one of the other missionaries were doing a prayer walk around a couple of blocks around their apartment building. And about every 25 feet, there would be this little hut and a god. Uh, can you show that? I know I'm going out of order, but I'm going to do my... I'm going to show you. There's one. And we literally stood in front of this temple, and we prayed that the God of heaven and earth might be made known to those that are bowing down. Let's see the next one. Um, I was told this is a God of death. Um, and these are all over the city. I have to admit that as we went to India, which is a country of 1.25 billion people, and only 2.3% of the population confesses Christ as Lord, that means about 23, 25 million people, um, I was a little nervous that being in a culture like that and seeing the mass need might move me to question the validity and the truthfulness of there being one true God and it being the God of the Bible. Um, I, I really worried or was concerned of how being in a country like that was going to impact me. And yet what happened as I was walking around the streets and I was looking at idols like this was that instead of being weakened in my faith, uh, my faith became stronger. I was humbled. (laughs) I was humbled by the reality that God, the God of the universe, who reigns over His world, has the absolute authority to do whatever He wants to do with whomever He wants to to do it. Um, He owes us nothing. And we owe Him everything. You see, God is that holy and that righteous that if He so decides for some to not believe and some to believe, that is His right. And there may be nothing more troubling to some of us than to hear that. But unless we understand that God has that right and has that authority... We're not going to understand Christianity. You see, God has made very plain to us what the truth is. That's what Romans 1 and 19 and 20 tells us. Uh, We see what what Paul said was what may be known about God is plain to them because I have made it plain. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes and His divine power have been clearly seen and should be understood through what has been made. For God has made it plain to them. The issue is not some deficiency with God revealing uh, Himself. The, The issue is with our ability to choose Him as the one true God over heaven and earth. You see, we choose idols just as foolish as that. That's what was impressed upon me. Um, Though our idolatry to us is not that obvious, just like their idolatry to them is not that obvious, it is just as central and just as powerful. 
What we bow down to and what we give ourselves to on a daily basis is just as weak, just as deceiving, and just as empty as any God I saw in India. And so this morning, I want us to go to Deuteronomy chapter 6 because this is the exact same context that Moses stood and said the words that we're about to read. He stood in the midst of nations worshiping foreign gods. And he calls Israel the one true, the one chosen nation. Does that trouble you a little bit? (laughs) God chose one nation to manifest himself to in personal form. And it was Israel. And he calls them to turn their backs on their, the gods of the past and the gods of the nations and turn their hearts to him. Now listen to what Moses wrote in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Hear, O Israel. Now you see, he's standing among all the idols of the world. He says, Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as signs on your hand, and they shall be as uh, frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your forefathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you or excuse yeah, destroy you from the face of the earth. You must put the Lord your God you must not put the Lord your God to the test, as you tested him at uh, Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give your forefathers by thrusting you out, thrusting out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has promised. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt with a, with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. 
And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this uh, that He has commanded before the Lord our God as He has commanded us. Lord God, I pray this morning that You would send a light of illumination upon Your Word. There is no deficiency in Your Word, O God. There is only deficiency in our ability to see and to believe and to receive it. And so, God, would you just, would you just take our fingers off our idols, the fingers of our hearts. Oh, Father, would you reveal to us clearly what it is that we are putting before you, that we might worship you as the true God of heaven and earth. Father, you can do this. I cannot. Our time will be wasted unless you move by your Spirit. We wait for you. We depend on you. Come, Lord Jesus, by your Spirit. Teach your people through your Word that you might be worshipped supremely in this place and in Memphis, Tennessee and beyond. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. If we are going to worship God as supreme... We must understand that God alone is the source of all joy, life, and gladness, and is worthy of our worship. If we're going to heed the words of of what Moses is saying here, then we must understand that God and God alone is the source of everything for which we are longing That sounds simple. It's not. We were at, Rachel and I went to the Grizzlies game um, Tuesday night. I know that seems like forever ago. I mean, all we're thinking about is Thursday night, you know. Um, Biggest comeback in history. We'll get to that in the third point. But uh, Tuesday night, uh, just to remind you, we played the dreaded Lakers. Um, And when we walked in, um, we sat down and and, um, right in front of two Laker fans. And then later, two other Laker fans and came in and sat right by us. And I want you to know I was uncomfortable. Uh, They were in their Laker jerseys. They had their headbands on. They were all decked out, ready to worship um, Kobe the God, you know, the God of the Lakers. And um, as I sat there and I just kind of thought, you know, well, I know I've got to be nice. And I was smiling. And uh, But as soon as Costa Cufas stuffed the ball in Boozer's face and Boozer was whining, oh, you know, and, and the Grizzlies get the ball, you know, the refs call the ball to us. I stood up. My hands were in the air. It was as if I was saying, to God be the glory for the great things he has done. <laughs> And what I was really saying was, see, in your face. (laughs) We are worshipers. (laughs) And it's that way with everything. We are worshipers. And we, we are obedient worshipers. You know what I, as I was reading this text, and I've been reading this text for a long time. And all this stuff, you know, about, the, you know, this comes after the Ten Commandments and the, the chapter previous to this. And, you know, all this talk about, you know, commandments and, it, it, you know, to us modern people it seems alien. And it is not alien at all. 
I mean, everything we worship has a code of commandments that we are utterly obedient to. If you don't believe that, go to a grizzly game. We know what to do and what not to do. We know what to wear and not wear. You don't wear Lakers stuff to a grizzly game if you're a true worshiper. You see, just drive down, drive north on Front Street and and understand what's going on in the building formerly known as the Pyramid, now known as the Bass Pro Shop. A temple is being built, friends, to hunting and fishing. And there ain't no girly clothes in there. There are no skinny jeans or baggy pants. There's just enough camo to fool all the ducks and deer in Arkansas, Tennessee, Alabama, Louisiana, you name it. And I grew up hunting and fishing, and I still hunt and fish. And I'm telling you, there are commandments that you must obey. And if you don't believe that, just go with somebody that's an avid fisherman or is an avid um, uh, woodsman or someone who hunts. I mean, you kind of know it's going on. The commandments are lifted high, and you're kind of here, and are you really fitting in? Are you wearing the right thing? Are you driving the right thing? Are you saying the right things at the right time? Are you a good shot or a bad shot? Is your stuff broken in or is it brand new? You just came from Bass Pro. You know, you're a rookie. I mean, all these commandments. And the priests, you know, the ones, the seasoned hunters are there and they're weighing, you know, are you really giving a, 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 the, the right and a sufficient sacrificial offering to the God of hunting or fishing? I mean, it is real. You don't show up to a duck hunt or a deer hunt in a BMW. You better have a pickup truck or a Suburban. I mean, all these rules. And it goes without saying with everything that we do. I've been trying to be a Mississippi State football fan because my, my youngest daughter and her husband, they're, they're in their last year. The, you know, the Bulldogs rank number one. And, you know, I'm a Bulldog fan. Well... I realized I wasn't really a true worshiper when I was on the beach and I was wearing, I just had a visor on that they gave me. It, it had bulldogs on it. And some guy walked by, he probably had a tattoo, you know, a sleeve that said Mississippi State Bulldog. I mean, he was like a true worshiper. And he looked over and he said, Hell State. And I had no idea what to say. So I said, Absolutely. And I texted Tom and Amy, and I told them about it. I said, I said, what should I have said? And Tom said, anything but absolutely. <laughs> I'm not a true worshiper. You see, there are commandments. You can't worship without obedience. You can't be a true follower without giving yourself. And, and we give ourselves, the way that we give ourselves, it's not just isolated us, but what we love, we impress upon our children. Why do I love to hunt and fish? Because my dad raised me in the woods. I was raised in a John boat. I mean, that's the only reason I love to hunt and fish. Why, do, why are you an Ole Miss fan? Why are you? That is a real good question. But I know why. Your household... The sign, we act like we don't understand all this language about, you know, put this on your head and between your forehead. Well, let me, let me just show you something. We understand. Put it on your hands. All right. There it is. We get it. There's nothing foreign about this. The only thing foreign about it is that God has not captivated our hearts to this extent.
And when I, when I say that, I don't want to say that and you go, oh gosh, I know I should go to church more and I need to read my Bible. No, just think, just try to get all that out of your head for a moment and understand what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, I'm holding out hope for you. What I'm saying is, is there is one who can really satisfy the longings of your heart if you would but give yourself to Him. There is someone that you can literally invest everything that you are in, and then everything else gets in its proper perspective. That's what we are called to. Worship the one true God. Try to just press your heart into Him with everything that you are. Because then everything else will make sense. Have you experienced this kind of relationship with God? Let me ask you a few diagnostic questions. And again... We're used to feeling guilty when we go to church. And that's not what I'm trying to accomplish here. I'm trying to help you make a paradigm shift that, hey, I really can worship God above the other things that I worship. That's what I'm trying to do here. So listen to these questions and answer them honestly in your heart. Do you desire to meet the living God in the morning? Do you desire to meet the living God at night? Is that your desire? Oh, I know, I've got to get a devotional plan going. No! The issue is not a plan. The issue is your heart. And my heart. Does His infinite power rule your life and give you real peace? Or do you find yourself ruled and controlled by fear and anxiety? Does the possibility of God asking you to move to India or give all your money away to live in poverty or, or, or does it undo you to the point that you can't even, you can't even, oh, I can't even go there. Do you feel painfully alone and isolated? Do you fear dying or fear losing someone that you love? Our answer to these questions reveals whether or not the real paradigm shift has happened in our lives or maybe it has happened and we've drifted away and we need to come back, which is our lives as believers. And what you must understand this morning is that that's what needs to happen to you. You think, oh man, it's this or it's that, it's my job, it's my neighbor, it's my parents, it's my children, it's the fact that I don't have children, it's my wife, it's my husband, it's this, it's that. No, it's you. It's a worship problem. You're looking to the wrong thing to satisfy you. Go to God. He has promised you that He will be enough for you. And then secondly, God demands that we not confuse His blessings with the ultimate blessing of Him. Don't confuse the stuff He gives you for Him. This is tough. I told you during our prayer time that Dana um, was a girl in our youth group that we've known for a long time. And over a year ago, their middle daughter, is that right, started having seizures. 
And they went to every specialist. I mean, we have world-renowned doctors in this city. Uh, with St. Jude and Le Bonheur, it just doesn't get better. And diagnosis after diagnosis and um, trials and different prescriptions and still seizing almost continually all day long, 24 hours a day. A few weeks ago, they finally got the diagnosis. It's a very rare disease, and that diagnosis is fatal. No one has survived it. And the doctor said, and there's more. It's also either hereditary or genetic. In other words, your other two children need to be tested. Both of the other daughters were tested. They were moving into a new house when they got the phone call. They were literally telling the movers where to put. And Dana answered the phone. And what she heard was too much. Her oldest daughter did not have the disease, but her youngest daughter does. Two of their daughters are facing death. How do you deal with that? Now friends, this is where faith in God has to be something more than just a cultural practice. God to you in that moment must be the one who has your heart and has your soul. If He's not, you are done. (laughs) What I love about this text is that Moses gives us a list. Uh, He knows us so well. Uh, Look at verses 10 through 15. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt." out of the house of slavery. You see, we are so bent by sin that we will easily confuse the blessings of God for God. In fact, it is so common, at least in American Christianity, for us to think that we've become Christians when we are praying to God, when in actuality we are using God, not for God, but for what God can do for us. It's called prosperity theology, and it's from the pit of hell. God offers himself to us as life. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. He didn't say what I give you. And friends, he didn't even say our children. Now here's the problem, and and this is what I love about this text, is that, Yes, we give our hearts to bad things. We can give our hearts to drugs and to alcohol and, you know, we can talk about, you know, all this. But that's not what he mentions here. He didn't say when you go in the land and you just start getting drunk and start sleeping around. No. He says your houses, your cities, your vineyards. He says 
all of the good things, not the bad things, the good things that I give you. And he even mentions wine. He talks about the vineyard. That's what he's saying. When I give you my blessings, even the greatest blessings, whether it's your children or your house or your job or your family or your own life, whatever it is, don't forget that I am the greatest blessing among you. Because if you do, this is what happens. When God comes down here and everything's around here or maybe over here, when you lose these things, you're done. But when you have God, and this is not just some manipulative statement, it's, it's reality for a Christian. When you have God, you literally have everything you need. And even if you lose your life, even if you starve to death, you still have God. Because Christ has lived, Christ has died, Christ has risen again. And He's done that for you, so that nothing now can separate us from God. Is that the essence of your hope this morning? Or is it what God has given you? What would, can be taken away from you this morning that would undo you to the point that you would hate God? That's what you need to do business with this morning. And friends, you can believe that God is sufficient. Because the logical question is, how in the world can we love God like this? And so thirdly, the only way to true worship and love is ongoing, present remembering. Ongoing, present remembering. Alright, Thursday night, let's go to the big victory, alright? You've been waiting on it. I know you have. Thursday night, we're down by, I don't know how many, 40 points. Let's just say that. Maybe not that much. Uh, We're down by a lot going into the fourth quarter. And the Grizz turn it on fire. 0.3 seconds left to go. We're down. We need need one shot to win it. Vince Carter, right beyond the the half-court line, Throws it in toward the basket. You're like, nobody's even there. Oh, yes, somebody is. Courtney Lee, back doors, comes around, jumps, gets the ball, turns with his back to the the back of the goal, throws it up, it bounces in for the win. The greatest comeback of all time in Grizz history. Amazing. Google it. YouTube it. you got to see it if you haven't. Now, what is going to be the impact of that last play and that comeback for that team? There are going to be many more games. How many we have? Like 70 more to go? Something like that. 72 before the playoffs. There are going to be other nights when they're sitting on the bench and they're down and they're like, ah, just can't do it. But you know what they'll do? They will remember. You see, remembering is powerful. And if you're a Christian here today, and that is not your life, if you aren't remembering, that's why we have this thing up here. It's not just decorative art. It's to say, remember, 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 God has done something for you. He has done something for me. And you know what? The messages of your flesh and the messages of the world are constantly preaching and constantly telling you, remember something different than this. Remember how God let you down. That's what the world, that's what the devil wants you to believe. But no, God has not let you down. God has given everything for you. That's what the rest of the Scriptures is all about. 
I love um, uh, Paul in, in Ephesians 5. He says, at one time you were darkness. Remember that. At one time you were darkness. But now you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And again, in Romans 6, we were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So when you were facing sin and you're saying, why, let's just chunk it, let's let's just... Remember, I was once in darkness, but God has brought me into light. I was once dominated by sin, but the Bible tells me that I'm now dominated by Christ and His work. His Spirit is in me. Christ Jesus said that rivers of living water will literally flow from you. What He meant by the Holy Spirit will just produce stuff in your life when you give yourself to Him that you know you have no no origin in. You know that's not you. It's the very Spirit of Christ producing what is not you, but now is you in Christ. Do you see it? You have to walk in that. Are you walking in that? Are you? Have you learned to preach the gospel of His Word to your heart? If not, you're doomed. you know why? Because there are a million sermons that you are preaching to yourself. Dear friends, do you understand that I have to do this all of the time, every single day, or I'm doomed? When I look at the reality of what we face, we need a building. We've looked everywhere. There's nothing to rent. We're talking three to four million dollars to get a building in downtown. Oh, man, I better go plant another church and leave these people. Just kidding. Just kidding. (laughs) Kind of. Seriously. I mean, I can't do that. When I look at needs, when I hear about needs in the congregation, when I, I feel helpless. When I look at my own life and my inability to love, and I see, I I hear that someone's disappointed in me, and rightfully so, all of these things, man, I can preach those sermons better with, with the best of them. But I have to remember, Richard, no, you are a new creation in Christ. Christ Jesus is in you by His Spirit. The gospel is the very power of God. I don't need anything else. I mean... Have you learned to do that? If not, you're doomed. If you have, there's hope. So preach the truth of God's Word. Here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to be as practical as you've ever been. I want you to find a promise of God's Word. Go to Ephesians 2 and chapters... Just take chapter 1 and go through chapter 2, maybe, I don't know, verse 8 or 9. And just meditate. I mean camp. Fill your head with it. And say, God, what would it be like if I believed this? What would it be like if if I believed that today you, in all of glory and all you've ever done, singled me out for your love? What would it be like if I really believed this morning that what you're doing in my life is you are making me holy and anything I encounter today, whether it's the death of my children, God forbid... Or whether it's getting a new job, you're fashioning my heart to believe, to be more holy and more consecrated to you. What would your life be like if you believed the promises of God? That's your problem. 
And that's my problem. We're worshiping the depressing messages of our flesh when we should be worshiping the one true God and living off of His Word as if it were our, our steak, our bread, our butter, our cereal, our coffee, our whatever. So, dear friends, feast on the very specific promises of God this week. Ask Him to reorient your heart, to give you the strength to let go of idolatry. If you need to enter a community to do that, do it. If there's some addiction in your life, if, there's, if, 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 if what's been done to you in the past you know is keeping you from moving forward, get counseling. Do whatever you must do to make God the living object of worship in your life. Because that's your only hope, and it's my only hope too. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is the hope of India, and it's the hope of America, and it's the hope of the world. Lord Jesus, thank You that You have revealed Yourself to us clearly, not just in creation, but in Your Word. And would You help us to believe. I pray this week that You would reorient our lives to You, And the negative messages and the despondent messages that we believe would not be the sermons that we preach to ourselves, but we would preach your word. Oh God, help us to feast on your promises like pigs, like I saw the pigs of India literally feasting on trash. Help us to feast on the glorious, infinite, and eternal word of of the Bible. Your very words. Oh God, make it so. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.